killer has been fighting to expose Norm Eisen for years. And I've, I've got some stories I'll share with you guys about this as we go through this space today, because it's going to be, it's going to be a big one. Like all the way around, this one's going to be a big one. But I can talk and, you know, maybe, maybe I'll give Jen, how, how, how do I put this? So after J6, we started to do some digging into like what on earth had just happened. And what do we always say uh, when we're talking about and we're giving people tips on, um, you know, how to do research and how to be effective doing research? Well, it we're always saying pay attention to the names, right? As you're reading all of these different documents and you're diving into different things, just pay attention to the names. And... One of the names that you just find over and over and over again was this dude, Norm Eisen. Let's get trash a co-host. Right? So so this guy, Norm Eisen, we we're, he's just general counsel or right lead counsel. Every time we're digging into some NGO that has anything to do with January 6th or the Russia collusion hoax, or any of it, boom, there's Norm Eisen's name. Weird. And the theory that we put together, or I, I shouldn't say we, I should give Jen the credit on this one, because um, th think about how many times we've been in spaces where Jen would be like, stop everything. Uh, we need to talk about Norm Eisen's involvement in this particular group, and this particular group, and this particular group. So, right, but the theory that uh, we started to propose and Jen brought to a lot of people, including Trump's legal team on several different occasions, was that Norm Eisen was central to the entire, like the, the entire conspiracy. And the reason that he was so central is that they were shielding the illegal things they were doing behind Norm Eisen being shared counsel amongst these groups because his comms are protected by attorney-client privilege. And when you start to think about it that way, I mean, it, it seems pretty simple, but in all of these cases, why, why would you have the same lawyer? And, and, and it, it, it's so far beyond just what uh, bad kitty, Pappy's grandma, I put that one up top, her thread on this today, which, as usual from her, uh, incredible investigative work. But this guy, we'd see him on CNN, we'd see his name on all this different paperwork attached to so many different elements. And then one day it just clicked. Like, oh, they're using attorney-client privilege to shield and be able to communicate on the stuff that they never want to see released. At minimum, it gives them an extra layer of protection. But as we go through the, the timeline and involvement of Norm Eisen, it's almost stunning how at the center of every plot against Donald Trump, against the MAGA movement, Norm Eisen is right at the heart of it.
and I'm looking forward to diving into this as like a topic today. I think this will be one of those spaces that we, we really bring forward a ton of important information. And I, 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 I think that the answer here is once that attorney-client privilege is pierced on Norm Eisen in particular, I think that's where the whole game, like that, that's where the floodgates will be opened completely and the dam will burst and everything will become exposed. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really fired up to do that. I also might take a chance. Uh, I, I, I took a little extra time to go through uh, our boy Jack's thread, laying out a bunch of names. It felt very name redacted esque, the uh, thoroughness in which he just went through a lot of the other people who are directly associated with Norm Eisen and the censorship and lawfare cabal. What do you think of that name, Trash? I was, I was, I was kicking around the idea of like, what do we call this thing? The censorship lawfare cabal. I kind of like, kind of like. <clears throat> yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's, I think that's appropriate. I think it's good. I like it. Hi to you guys. Happy Friday. And, uh, not so happy Friday for Mr. Norm Eisen. He's taking it on the chin again this week. Feels like, you know, we've been talking about this guy and taking this guy down all year uh, and years prior, but mainly this year, utilizing the spaces and, and threads. And so when I saw Kitty put out that thread, I, her and I were going back and forth in her comments. <laughs> she's like, but wait, there's more. So she's bringing more receipts out. Um, apparently, these are these are source documents, much like the count and transition integrity project. These are apparently source documents. So um, looking forward to that. I sent her, I DM'd her an invite and see if she wants to come in. And I sent one to Millie as well. But uh, yeah, censorship, lawfare, cabal. I dig it. I think it's appropriate. And so you guys retweet the space. This is going to be jam full of excellent information. So right, this is going to be one of the ones you guys definitely will leave here with more information about the very specific is if you tell her somebody's too powerful and the fight is too big, that does not deter her. In fact, she is forced only at that point to continue to drive forward and take this fight on. Like, right? Like, it, it, the, literally the worst thing you could say to her if you want her not to do something is be like, oh, yeah, no, that's a, not a winnable fight. Don't do it, Jen. Like, to her, that, that challenge accepted, bitches. Let's get it on. Like, let's continue to deep dive. And I think... Really, Jen's persistence to continue to bring up Norm Eisen's name over and over and over and over again, I think, has, has led us to this point where, at a minimum, it's going to be a lot harder for him to operate. Right? He, he's one of the people. He has a public profile because his ego is so bad. It can't allow him not to be the guy who goes and does his like victory laps on CNN and stuff. So if you want to start just pulling uh, Norm Eisen clips, right? Literally any CNN clips at all. Uh, we don't even have to evaluate what they are. I just want to start compiling a library of everything we have on Norm Eisen, and then we'll create an opposition research folder on him with America Mission, so that we have and can uh, further deep dive into uh, everything that we can find as far as him making appearances and then tying that to 
some of this other research that Jen and Bad Kitty and Millie and Trash and everybody has been putting together. So uh, we, we we do have some real action items. I do want to make sure we're compiling that. If you want to just go find them, you can drop them in the chat. Uh, right, Just go to the purple pill and drop whatever clips you find um, down there and the team will go through and then we'll start organizing it in real time. Go ahead, Jen. Yeah, I also want to, uh, Darren Beatty has done some excellent, excellent reporting on Normizen. Uh, so even, so I think we should definitely go through what Bad Kitty exposed today. Um, and then kind of maybe go through Darren Beatty's articles and the way he's laid out Norm Eisen, I think is really, uh, really excellent and would be good for everyone to understand. Um, and then I can fill in, you know, parts of it as we go. Uh, but yeah, I think that would be better. Yeah, no, and uh, I don't know that Darren follows me, but if you guys, we should definitely invite him. That's a great call. He, he's also somebody who's been... Uh, right, trying to bring forward Norm Eisen as a centerpiece of this stuff for a long time. And if you want to find those Revolver articles, I'm happy to go through and read them. Um, we can take turns, everybody on stage, like going through one by one. But because it, it is breaking, it's up on the Jumbotron. Our friend Bad Kitty unleashed Pepe's grandma. Uh, she's absolutely fierce on this stuff. I mean, her threads through the years have just been absolutely incredible and so I, I i think maybe we'll start there and work our way back well in the meantime i think we should get an invite out to darren and whatever you guys want me to read just share it up on the jumbotron so i can access it there uh, in the meantime you guys retweet the space let's get some people in here and uh let's let's get to work exposing the man behind the curtain the puppet master himself norm motherfuck eisen Okay, I should probably stop swearing. It's a day space. I'm sorry, y'all. <laughs> sorry, I get all worked up with this bad, evil mofos. Mofos is okay, right? I work on it. Working on it. Trying to be good. Trying to be good. All right, so I'll, I'll just dive into the uh, bad kitty thread now. If, unless you guys want to preface this with anything else. All right, let's dive in. All right, so... Uh, Breaking, Norm Eisen was involved in the lack of National Guard on January 6th. Color me shocked. The Voter Protection Program, think about the names of these things, like how similar they are, like between all of these different NGOs and these voter protection groups. The Voter Protection Program, co-founded by Norm Eisen, told state governors in a letter that they would be breaking the law if they did. Quote, this memorandum guides state officials in preparing for and responding to the possible involvement of the National Guard in the 2020 election. Governors should remember that the Guard remains under their command unless, quote, federalized, unquote, by the president. It's not just election day. The election has already started. It will last until all the votes are counted and the results are certified. Federal interference with counting votes is just as illegal as interference with voting. Uh, cites 18 U.S.C. section 593 through 595. 
on January 6th, and this is back to Bad Kitty, on January 6th, that's what Congress was there for, the certification of electors, sources to follow. And uh, the memorandum, this is from some group, it's got, right, the Voter Protection Program, the VPP, it's got like some little shield with a check mark, and it's just memorandum, uh, coordination with the National Guard around elections. And this is something that was sent around to the governors all over the country. Um, and highlighted is it's not just election day. The election has already started. It will last. I already read that part. Um, and so it's pre pretty wild all the way around. Essentially what this is, is and, and when you tie this trash, uh, this, this first part, to what you guys exposed with the count, the picture becomes very clear about right how well coordinated between the left, the idea of making sure that January 6th played out exactly how it did. So I, I don't know if there's anything you guys want to build on that or I should move on to the uh, next tweet. Well, I mean, I can, I can add, um, let me go find her thread because I actually responded in that thread with it. And from that document, the count, it, it does become clear. And on page 35 of the document, the count, well, you know what? I'll, I'll go get it in a minute. I'll just go to my, my photos. This was on the bottom of page 35, and this was their plan. This was like to the shock troops on the ground that were going to be involved. Uh, and then they said, Democrats in Congress must use every constitutional, procedural, and political means necessary to delegitimize Trump's attempt to usurp the presidency, up to and including voting in unison against any Republican effort to count Trump's electoral college votes, ordering the sergeant at arms to remove Republicans from the House chamber, boycotting the electoral college count, and staging protests inside the Capitol to make it physically impossible for Congress to meet. I just think that's very notable when you consider that this document came out of the Sunrise Zoom calls central hub, <clears throat> it is a source document, and <clears throat> that normalizing was his hands are all over this. Keep in mind, this document was essentially crafted off of a document that was created in August of 2020 called the Transition Integrity Project by a think tank out of LA, uh, the the Gregoren Institute, and Rosa Brooks, which we don't we won't talk about her now, but she's an Obama uh, clown. And uh, this guy, Nils Gilman. So that transition to TIP then moved to the count. And then it looks like, based on the date on this document here, the voter protection program came out October 30th. So you can see the progression of Transition Integrity Project, all the war gaming. Then it moves to the, uh, the count, which is the ground game, shock troop people, what the implementation of the war game results. And then they move to the VPP, which is a, a, a memorandum regarding National Guard or lack thereof. So you can see exactly how they set this up. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, no. Uh, and so it, it feels to me like this in particular, uh, right, is a further exposure of the fact that, right, so we, we, we had the stuff in the count about all this stuff. This was them preemptively trying to make sure and prevent there being any response to the broader 
plan. So when they wargamed it out, so okay, one danger would be that the state governors and President Trump would use the National Guard to provide security around January 6th. And that would obviously be a potential attack vector that would sink their plot to be able to label this like Donald Trump's questioning of their bullshit election, like all the, the shady shit they did in the election. Uh, they wanted to call Trump's questioning of it a coup and label him an insurrectionist. And I think one of the things they identified, the plot wouldn't work if the National Guard was deployed in order to prevent that narrative from being able to take hold in a way that would be problematic. Um, now, uh, this is the second tweet in the Bad Kitty Unleashed thread that's pinned up above. Uh, this here is a transcript from Berkeley Law saying that Norm Eisen was a co-founder of the Voter Protection Program, which told state governors not to use the National Guard. Quote, now, as co-founder and CEO of the state's United Democracy Center in Washington, D.C., Lidgate guides its work to advance free, fair, and secure elections. The nonpartisan center helps connect state officials, law enforcement leaders, and pro-democracy partners across America with tools and expertise to protect the vote, hold democracy violators accountable, and prevent political violence. Lidgate says that amid calls by former President Trump to postpone the November 2020 election and mounting election-related lies, she recalled Berkeley law mentors who, quote, encouraged me to take risks, think creatively, and understand the power of the law to affect change, unquote. Quote, working with former U.S. ambassador to the Czech Republic and Obama White House quote, ethics czar, unquote, Norman Eisen, and former New Jersey Governor Christine Todd Whitman, they established the Voter Protection Program, which eventually became States United. And States United is another group, uh, another, like, uh, standard operating procedure that we keep coming across. They like to change the name and rebrand, like, the organizations. Like, right, they have, they have no problem just setting up new nonprofit organizations, right, in order to put distance between themselves and whatever they did before. Um, the next tweet in the thread um, is here's a document from Norm Eisen Voter Protection Program called Coordination with the National Guard Around Elections. That's the title of it. Here they are telling state governors that it's illegal to have the National Guard around for any election certification events, which would have included January 6th. Quote, um, it's not just, oh, I think I read that one already. I'm sorry, guys. I have something. Um, go ahead, Jen. Yeah, so uh, I want to point out about States United. So States United was created by Norm Eisen. Uh, in with Christy Todd Whitman, uh, she's the co-chair. She's the one famous for telling the 9-11 first responders that the air was safe. Uh, she has since apologized. But who also is involved in States United is Joanna Lingate. For, uh, she's also part of the, the States United. And then you have the advisory board 
which is made up of Michael Steele, Bill Weld, Tom Ridge, Michael Chertoff, Janet Napolitano. And I mean, that's three former heads of the DHS. Um, and then States United uh, it was made to pick up where crew left off. Uh, so when they weren't targeting so-called election deniers uh, running for office, uh, they were directly involved in the lawfare uh, related to President Trump. Uh, so I just want to point that out. Now, those are excellent points to be brought forward. And, and, and again, I, I think we will expand the net of people we're going to talk about in this uh, pretty far. But right, really normizing. So and, and then Bad Kitty ends with if National Guard and law enforcement are expressly it is illegal for them to be around uh, anything to do with the elections, which is this claim that they made in this uh, legal letter that they sent to governors all over the country in the lead up to January 6th. Well, so, too, then it would have been illegal for the FBI to be there. And we all know about the FBI's. A sizable presence, uh, both undercover um, and through informants in the crowd on January 6th. So she ends it there. Um, so with that, uh, that that that's kind of right. It's important piece of the overall puzzle, when especially when um, you include uh, exactly what was brought forward around the count. And the, the fact that the same group of people who were encouraging there not to be National Guard or law enforcement presence specifically at the Capitol on January 6th, and the fact that they had wargamed out exactly what ended up playing out on January 6th leaves a lot, a lot of questions. So... Uh, Trash in, do you guys want to touch anything before I dive into uh, the Darren Beatty Revolver News Expo say on Normizen? No, not yet. I think we're kind of in line with like the timing. Uh, interesting to note, I'm trying to pull up that archive that she's got here, and archive.is has not been working for me. I've had to start using archive.ph, so I don't know if that's... I tried three different browsers. I can't pull it up, so I'm going to try to reach out and see if I can get that document. But other than that, no, I don't know how much to add. All right. Well, give me just a second to pull it up. I've read this one probably a dozen times, but it's worth going over. Um, so what, what what's wild about this? Uh, so this was published originally um, back three years ago. And the title, it's pinned up top. The title is Meet Norm Eisen, Legal Hatchet Man and Central Operative in the Color Revolution Against President Trump. Could not be more on point with that. Uh, in our report on Never Trump State Department official George Kent, Revolver News first drew attention to the ominous similarities between the strategies and tactics the United States government employs in so-called, quote, cover, color revolutions, unquote, and the coordinated efforts of government bureaucrats, NGOs, and the media to oust President Trump. A recent follow-up to this initial report focused specifically on a shadowy George Soros-linked group called the Transition Integrity Project, which convened war games, exercises suggesting the likelihood 
of a contested election scenario and of ensuing chaos should President Trump refuse to leave office. We further showed how these contested election scenarios we are hearing so much about play perfectly into the color revolution framework sketched out sketched out Revolver News's first installment in the color revolution series. This third installment of Revolver News's series exposing the color revolution against Trump will focus on one quiet and indeed mostly overlooked participant in the transition integrity projects biased election war games exercise a man by the name of norm eisen as the man who implemented the david brock blueprint for suing the president into paralysis and his allies into bankruptcy lawfare who helped mainstream and amplify the russia hoax who drafted 10 articles of impeachment for the Democrats a full month before President Trump ever called the Ukraine president in 2018, who personally served as special counsel litigating the Ukraine impeachment, who created a template for, intern for internet censorship of world leaders, and a handbook for mass mobilizing racial justice protesters to overturn Democratic elections results, there is perhaps no man alive with a more decorated resume for plots against President Trump. Indeed, the story of Norm Eisen, a key architect of nearly every attempt to delegitimize, impeach, censor, sue, and remove the democratically elected 45th president of the United States, is a tale that winds through nearly every facet of the color revolution playbook. There is no purer embodiment of Revolver's thesis that the very same regime change professionals who run color revolutions on behalf of the U.S. government in order to undermine or overthrow alleged authoritarian governments overseas are running the very same playbook to overturn Trump's 2016 victory and to preempt a repeat in 2020. To put it simply, what you see is not just the same color revolution playbook run against Trump, but the same people using it against Trump who have employed it in a professional capacity against targets overseas. Same people, same playbook. In Norm Eisen's case, the same people, same playbook refrain takes an arrestingly literal turn when one realizes that Norm Eisen wrote a classic color revolution regi regime, regime change manual and conveniently titled it the playbook. Well, we'd be fucking original. No, no more swearing. I'm sorry. In the swear jar. <coughs> Excuse me. Just what exactly is President Obama's former White House ethics are? Yes, Norm Eisen was Obama's ethics are. His longtime friend since Harvard Law School, who recently partook in war games to simulate overturning a Trump electoral victory doing writing a detailed playbook on how to use a color revolution to overthrow governments. The story of Norm Eisen only gets more fascinating, outrageous, and indispensable to understanding the planned chaos unfolding before our eyes, leading up to what will perhaps be the most chaotic election in our nation's recent history. Remember that this uh, uh, Revolver News expose on Norm Eisen was right came out before the 2020 election so this is all prior to january 6th 
and without the benefit of all the information on Normizin that has come before. Uh, well, I'd rather have this book than the atomic bomb. Uh, before we can fully appreciate the significance of Norm Eisen's Color Revolution Manual, the playbook, we must contextualize this important book in relation to its place in color revolution literature. As a bit of a refresher to the reader, it is important to emphasize that when we use the term color revolution, we do not mean any general type of revolution. Indeed, one of the chief advantages of the color revolution framework we advance is that it offers a specific and concrete heuristic by which to understand the operations against Trump beyond the accurate but more vague term coup. Unlike the overt, blunt method of full-scale military invasion, as was the case in Iraq War, a color revolution employs the following strategies and tactics. And this is a uh, excerpt. A uh, color revolution in this context refers to a specific type of coordinated attack that the United States government has been known to deploy against foreign regimes, particularly in Eastern Europe, deemed to be authoritarian and hostile to American interests. Rather than using a direct military intervention to affect regime change, as in Iraq, color revolutions attack a foreign regime by contesting its electoral legitimacy, organizing mass protests and acts of civil disobedience, and leveraging media contacts to ensure favorable coverage to their agenda in the Western press. This combination of tactics used in so-called color revolutions did not come from nowhere. Before Norm Eisen came Gene Sharp, originator and godfather of the color revolution model that has been a staple of U.S. government operations externally and now internally for decades. Before Norm Eisen's play, The Playbook, there was Gene Sharp's classic From Dictatorship to Democracy, which might be justly described as the Bible of color revolution. Such is the power of the strategies laid out by Sharp that a Lithuanian defense minister once said of Sharp's preceding book, upon which dictatorship to democracy builds that, I would rather have this book than the nuclear bomb. It would be impossible to do full justice to Gene Sharp within the scope of this specific article. Here are some choice excerpts about Sharp and his biography to give readers a taste of his significance and relevance to this discussion. Um, I'm going to skip over the Gene Sharp stuff uh, just because it's long. There's a really great documentary you can watch on the Ukrainian color revolution. Uh, and I, I think it's I think it's called um, from dictatorship to democracy, and it describes exactly and with historical context, like how we use this in particular to overturn and disrupt uh, the Ukrainian government. God, and all roads lead back to the same places. That's the part I really got stress. All right, back to it. Uh, we invite the reader to reflect on the passages in bold, blah, blah, blah. That's going back. We're going to skip that part. Dun, dun, dun. All right. So for readers who wish to read further, please consult the Politico piece from which we have observed the bubble passage. There's also a fascinating documentary on Sharp, instructively titled How to Start a Revolution. That's the one I was trying to get at. 
Uh, really worth a watch. That How to Start a Revolution. I don't remember where we found it. But I think it Hulu or Netflix uh, or Amazon Prime. One of those you can find it. One of the big streamers. Um, all right. This is all interesting and disturbing to say the least. In its own right, it would suggest a compelling nexus point between the operations run against Trump and the color revolution playbook. But what does this have to do with our subject, Norm Eisen? It just so happens that Eisen explicitly places himself in the tradition of Gene Sharp, acknowledging his book, The Playbook, as a kind of update to Sharp's seminal dictatorship to democracy. There's a clip, but I'm not going to pull it up because I'll probably lose it. And there we have it, folks. Norm Eisen, former Obama ethics czar, ambassador to Czechoslovakia, during the Velvet Revolution, key counsel in the impeachment efforts against Trump and participant in the ostensibly bipartisan election war games predicting, predicting a contested election scenario unfavorable to Trump. Just happens to be cover revolution expert who literally wrote the modern playbook in the explicitly acknowledged tradition of color revolution godfather Gene Sharp's from dictatorship to democracy. Before we turn to the contents of Norm Eisen's Color Revolution Manual, full title, The Democracy Playbook, Preventing and Reversing Democratic Backsliding, it will be useful to make a brief point regarding the term democracy itself, which happens to appear in the title of Gene Sharp's book, From Dictatorship to Democracy as well. Just like the term peaceful protester, which as we pointed out in our George Kent essay is used as a term to craft as a term of craft in the color revolution context, so is the term democracy itself. The US government launches color revolutions against foreign targets irrespective of whether they actually enjoy the support of the people or were elected democratically. In the case of Trump, whatever one says about him, he is perhaps the most democratically elected president in America's history. Indeed, in 2016, Trump ran against the coordinated opposition of the establishments of both parties, the military-industrial complex, the corporate media, Hollywood, and really every single powerful institution in the country. He won, however, because he was able to garner su sufficient support of the people, his true and decisive power base as a populist. Precisely because of this ultra-democratic populist character of Trump's victory, the operatives attempting to undermine him have focused specifically on attacking the democratic legitimacy of his victory. In this vein, we ought to note that the term democratic backsliding is seen in the subtitle of Norm Eisen's book and its opposite democratic breakthrough are also terms of art in the color revolution lexicon. We leave the full exploration of how the term democratic is used deceptively in the color revolution context uh, as an exercise to the interested reader. Michael McFall, another bastard, another color revolution expert and key anti-Trump operative somewhat gives the game away in the following tweet in which the term democratic breakthrough makes an appearance as a better sounding alternative to color revolution. Most likely a response to Revolver News' first color revolution article on State Department official George Kent. Former Ambassador McCall issued the following tweet 
as a matter of damage control. This is the tweet. Autocrats have demonized the frame, the phrase color revolutions. A revolution generally has a negative connotation for many. Instead, I use the term democratic breakthroughs. God, God, I hate these people. What on earth then might color revolution expert and Obama's former ambassador to Russia, Michael McFaul, who has been a key player agitating for President Trump's impeachment, mean by democratic breakthroughs? Being a rather simple man from a simple background, McFaul perhaps gives too much of this answer away in the following explanation in a now deleted tweet. Trump has lost the intelligence community. He has lost the State Department. He has lost the military. How can he continue to serve as our commander-in-chief? With this now-deleted tweet, we get a clear picture of the power bases that must be satisfied for a democratic breakthrough to occur. And conveniently enough, not one of them is subject to direct democratic control. McFaul, like Eisen, George Kent, and so many others, perfectly embodies Revolver's thesis regarding the color revolution being the same people running the same playbook. Indeed, like most of the star, most of the star never Trump impeachment witnesses, McFaul is or has been an ambassador to an Eastern European country. He has supported operations against Trump, including impeachment. And like Norm Eisen, he has actually written a book on color revolutions. Real quick, uh, Dustin. Dustin yeah, I can, All right, cool. I can't so, mute those now. Okay, yeah, no, no worries. I figured you couldn't see the screen. I've had my hand up for a bit. I just wanted to point out a couple of things. Um, talk about backsliding. You guys remember the speech Joe Biden gave at the Council of Foreign Relations talking about, well, no, now, Michael, there's been some there's been some backsliding, but it's the, the, the same video, guys, the, well, son of a bitch, the, prosecutors fired. He was talking about backsliding and backsliding specifically was trying to uphold what they did in 2014 in Ukraine. And the reason I wanted to point that out was just because of the word backsliding is specifically and Michael Carpenter up there in connection with Norm Eisen as well, Vicki Newland, George Kent. Um, I have a lot of those documents in my Hunter Biden thread uh, regarding George Kent and these people, but let me not go there. Let's stay on Norm Eisen. But I do want to point out one more thing. And I've been talking about Michael McFall for some time and no one really seems to get it. Uh, I just want to point out that Michael McFall uh, was the director of the Freeman Spogli Institute for International Studies. He's also a Hoover Fellow at Stanford. Now, what's interesting to note about this is it seems to be that Michael McFall deployed Rene DiResta and Alex Stamos. They all worked together. And that's when they started the Stanford Internet Observatory. So being a, a director and at the Hoover and a Hoover fellow at Stanford, he was actually the one that worked with CIA Rene DiResta, Alex Stamos to build the Election Integrity Partnership, which then became the Virality Project. Michael McFall had his hands all over this. So as you're reading this, I want you to think about that in context when they're talking about Michael McFall, because that's who he is. Uh, such a good point, Matt. McFall and the connection to the Stanford Internet Observatory. Like that, and again, remember all of these pieces tie back to this small group of people who have all written books about color revolutions and the exact same tactics. And I think we're about to dive into those in the Revolver News article. But the exact same tactics, right? As he's really summarizes so perfectly 
same people, same playbook, right? The same people, the same playbook. And we can look to the ways in which it was used to install a government of our choice in other countries. And we can look and watch the exact same tactics being deployed against President Trump uh, in this country. All right. The next subheader here is Norm Eisen, the Democracy Playbook, a brief overview. <coughs> Excuse me. A deep dive into Eisen's book would exceed the scope of this relatively brief expose. It is nonetheless important for us to draw attention to key passages of Eisen's book to underscore how closely the playbook corresponds to events unfolding right here at home. Indeed, it would not be an exaggeration to say that the regime change professionals such as Eisen simply decided to run the same playbook against Trump that they have done countless times when foreign leaders are elected overseas that they don't like and want to remove via extra democratic means, quote unquote, peaceful protests, quote unquote, democratic breakthroughs and such. First, consider the following passage from Eisen's playbook. Uh, this is uh, under the subtitle, The Anatomy of a Liberal State. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but uh, the highlighted part is, once in power, illiberal governments capitalize on popular support to deploy a discernible toolkit and loosely predictable sequence to chip away at democracy and build an illiberal state. Uh, the window of opportunity, the emergence of self-styled illiberal states across Europe presents a challenge to Western collective action in an era of authoritarian resurgence. Far-right populist parties, many with illiberal tendencies, have gained a toehold of or the majority in 23 of 28 EU member states' par parliamentary systems. But these systems still have democratic institutions and robust civil societies, albeit under pressure, that provide avenues for responding. The level of free and fair competition for political power varies across nations, as does the space for free speech and assembly. Highlight that, free speech and assembly. The rule of law, transparency, and government accountability. Uh, the ability of political opposition and civil society to operate gives pro-democracy actors an urgent window of opportunity to push back on illiberal activity before it come, becomes further entrenched and in turn more difficult to undo. And the reason he's highlighting that is because Eisen in the in his book on color revolutions is emphasizing uh, exactly what we hear over and over and over again in all these other documents about the unique threat that Donald Trump poses to democracy and the way that you have to try to cut that off before it gains and becomes entrenched. So um, this is back to Beatty. If you study this passage closely, you will find direct confirmation of our earlier point that democracy in the color revolution context is a term of art. It refers to anything they like that keeps the national security bureaucrats in power. Anything they don't like, even if elected democratically, is considered anti-democratic or 
put another way, democratic backsliding. Eisen even acknowledges that the scourge of populism he's so worried about actually was ushered in with popular support under relatively democratic and electoral processes. The problem is precisely that the people have had enough of the corrupt ruling class ignoring their needs. Accordingly, the people voted first for Brexit and then for Donald Trump. Terrifying expressions of populism, which the broader Western power structure did everything in its capacity to prevent. Once they failed, they viewed these kind of twin populist victories as a kind of political 9-11 to be prevented by any means necessary. Make no mistake, the color revolution has nothing to do with democracy in any meaningful sense and everything to do with the ruling class ensuring that the people will never have the power to meddle in their own elections again. The passage above can be insightfully compared to the passage in Gene Sharp's book noting ripe applications to the domestic situations. It's instructive to compare the passage in Eisen's Color Revolution book to the passage in Michael McFall's Color Revolution book. And uh, he has that highlighted. And it, it's basically a rehash of the same thing. So again, you have Michael McFall, McFall and Norm Eisen. Both have written books on color revolutions. Both are central to the Russian Kalusia hoax and the January 6th slash Donald Trump is an insurrectionist narrative has led to the Maine and Colorado ballot stuff. Both writing books on exactly the tactics that they want to deploy. All right, let's get through this thing. All right, first off, it is absolutely imperative to look at every single one of the conditions for a color revolution that McFall identifies. It is simply impossible not to be overcome with the ominous parallels to our current situation. Specifically, however, note condition one, which refers to having a target leader who is not fully authoritarian, but semi-autocratic. This coincides perfectly well with Eisen's concession that the populist leader he's so concerned about might be a liberal, but enjoy popular support and have come to power via relatively democratic electoral processes. Consulting the above passage from McFall's book, we note that McFall has been perhaps the most explicit about the conditions which facilitate a color revolution. We invite the reader to supply the contemporary analog to enjoy each point as a kind of exercise. Number one, a semi-autocratic regime rather than a fully autocratic. Number two, an unpopular incumbent. Note blanket negative coverage of Trump, fake polls, etc. Number three, a united and organized opposition. Media, intel community, Hollywood, community groups, etc., uh, number four, an ability to quickly drive home the point that voting results were falsified. Uh, CRP's on Transition Integrity Project. Number five, enough independent media to inform citizens of falsified vote. Look at what we talked about with the count. And number six, a political opposition capable of mobilizing tens of thousands or more demonstrators to protest electoral fraud. On point number four, which is especially relevant to our present situation, Eisen has interesting to th things to say about the role of a contested election scenario in the Orange Revolution, arguably the most important color revolution of them all. 
this is from Norm Eisen's book. This is, uh, this is seriously mind blowing that this exists and that people haven't been talking about, or they have, but it hasn't been able to penetrate with any big media coverage. A number, I'm sorry. Uh, Ukraine's nonviolent orange revolution of 2004 helped to bring the democratically elected Viktor Yushchenko to power after widespread election fraud had resulted in the victory of Prime Minister Viktor uh, Yanukovych. External actors, including USAID, the Westminster Foundation, National Endowment for Democracy, and the Alfred Moser Foundation, had been supporting Ukrainian civil society for several years prior to the election. Ongoing efforts included running seminars on civil society, activism, and democratic principles. One of the leading organizers of the Orange Revolution, Pora, meaning it's time, received grants from the German Marshall Front, Freedom House, the Canadian International Development Agency, and others, helping them to spread awareness about their movement and develop their organizational capacity. Pora also received assistance from other groups that had triumphed over repressive regimes. Otpor leader Alexander Maric ran seminars for the Ukrainian activists in Serbia, while Slavic organizations who had defeated Vladimir Mikar helped Pora to strategize. Whew. That one's dark. Sounds like a bunch of, I don't know, intelligence community stand-up organizations were pouring money into the Orange Revolution. Right? So like you, you have outside foreign funding to like help your Democrat revolution based on this stuff. All right, finally, let's look at our last passage from Norm Eisen's Color Revolution Democracy Playbook and cross-reference it with McCall's conditions for a color revolution as well as the situation playing right now before our very eyes. Um, he's got highlighted here, increase election monitoring capacity and be prepared to use electoral abuse evidence as basis for reform advocacy. The other parties got highlighted is opposition leaders may also choose to pursue more extreme institutional measures available to them, i.g. impeachments, um, votes of no confidence and recall, and or deploy extra institutional tools uh, like protest strikes or boycotts. Few things immediately jump out at us. First, the ominous instruction prepare to use electoral abuse evidence as the basis for reform advocacy. Secondly, we note that the passage suggesting that the opposition to a target leader might avail itself of extreme institutional measures like impeachment and launch protest strikes and boycotts. Whew, this stuff is really dark. All right, how much more do we go? All right. That's basically covering it. Let me make sure. I'm somebody else want to talk. Why well, make sure I didn't miss anything? But I think I, I think we basically got the point on this. Yeah, I also um, thanks for reading that, Dustin. I think it really lays out like you know who Norm Eisen is and how he's involved. Uh, but just to bring it to kind of like present times, uh, No Rose down there sent us in the back channels. Uh, his new book, uh, Norm Eisen's new book, 
Uh, it is called, um, and we can also like read this article that she sent along with it. It's called Overcoming Trumpery, How to Restore Ethics, the Rule of Law, and Democracy, edited by Norm Eisen. And then they have a quote on there from Jerry Nadler. Uh, it says, mandatory reading for anyone thinking about how to defend against the attacks on our democracy. So again, it is literally overcoming Trumpery, and then it has a picture of Donald Trump uh, on the $1 bill. So I think that might be interesting to go over as well to kind of bring it to their current plan, because he recently just put this book out. It's kind of crazy to go back and read the Darren Beatty article, right? And realize he wrote that before all of this shit went down, like as a warning. And it reminds me of Millie trying to bring attention to this, right? By infiltrating the Sunrise Movement and how effectively the censorship machine prevented people from exposing what we just saw there. But let, I, I just want to emphasize, like, right, in Norm Eisen's playbook, a guide on color revolutions, he talks about the opposition, what they consider to be the quote-unquote good guys, you doing what? Weaponizing institutions, governments to do things like impeachments. We saw that twice with President Trump. Right? Uh, to claiming uh, that there is going like election fraud and election abuse uh, beforehand, laying the groundwork, maybe even false flagging those motherfuckers in order to show and highlight. Uh, that that is an opportunity for quote unquote advocacy reform, um, and then using that to install, delegitimize, and right to delegitimize the opposition and bring to power uh, whoever you're pushing. In this case, right, like delegitimize President Trump and install a senile idiot pedophile sniffer douche nozzle in Joe Biden into the White House. So. All right, I need a little break from talking. Trash, if you want to uh, handle yeah. it for just a minute. Well, let me let me tie that in a little bit more and kind of add some more context to it. And, I, and thank you for reading. And I agree, this is a great breakdown. But consider this. So that, that uh, book was written before we even approached into 2023, right? So this is post-2021 when he was writing this book, you know, how to move on from trumpery, right? So it was, okay, we... we uh, Never again in 2016, we read, cried, melted down. Everybody, everybody organized. You saw, you know, David Brock, Media Matters, Crew, Norm Eisen, all these guys that had the meeting in 2017, how they were going to handle legacy media, how they were going to handle opposition research, how they were going to handle funding, and, and how they were going to handle lawfare. At the same time, you saw this S.J. Terp character enter the fray. And she had a meeting in the Obama White House in 2017 where they were setting up through through grants through DOD and Graphica, this disarm framework, which I kind of share screenshots every now and then to remind people, if you're emotionally reacting to something, you feel like you're being attacked or there's people that seem to be subversive. Just take a look at this playbook and how the CTI League files, all of that stuff was created in 2017. And that's when these guys went to work as well. Right. So this was now 2020 the steel leading up to transition integrity project, which we mentioned normizing, which they war game double scenarios, right? Then you had 
the count, which was the sunrise zoom crawls, weaponizing the shock troops on the ground to create chaos, to prevent Congress from meeting, which I believe tells a lot of tales about January 6th. Um, and you look through that document and how they were going to do it. Then it was make sure we count every vote. Even this, uh, this main secretary of state was on video talking about counting every vote. She's tweeting about counting every vote. All of this stuff was in lockstep through all these, I guess we could call them operatives, but elected quote unquote officials, selected, whatever you want to call it. And they, this all coalesced. And this was essentially the same playbook that they ran Gene Sharp and Norm Eisen on a club revolution in 2020. And it started the day Hillary lost. And now you fat, you keep, you keep going. We, we keep talking about these things, exposing more and more things. You had transition integrity project. Step two was the count. Step three was what uh, bad kitty put out today, the voter protection, the VPP. And that was all to solidify perception in the public. You had Michael McFall uh, during this time in the 20 post 2017 link up with Alex Stamos and CIA Rene DiResta at the standard Stanford Internet Observatory, creating the election integrity partnership, then moving on to COVID, which was the virality project. And Michael McFall was directly involved with that, obviously, because Rene DiResta worked underneath him. And so you look at this entire thing. And you're moving through these steps of 2017, 18, 19, two impeachments leading up to the 2020 election, all the documents that I referenced. And then you got Norm Eisen that's writing a book in 2021 saying how to move on from an era of trumpery or whatever it's called. And so that was the next step in their revolution, essentially, by stealing the election and, and getting Trump out of there by using this playbook and then how to move forward in the public. What they didn't count on was Elon Musk buying Twitter, number one. Number two, that's why they didn't expect uh, platforms like Rumble and such. Number three, they didn't expect these platforms, even if they were created, to not to submit to the censorship apparatus that they built and the pressure campaigns that they built. And so he releases this book. and He's at Brookings Institute 2022 and all hell breaks loose because now all of this is being broken apart, exposed and open. So, you know, he's doing his victory lap right in this. How do we move on from Trumpery, basically? Same similar thing that Molly Ball did with the Time magazine piece, the the shadow campaign that fortified the 2020 election. Right. They're all bragging. They're all taking their victory laps. We did it. High five, guys. And now it's all breaking open, breaking apart. And what they did not count on is what we're seeing in 2023. That's why crew has been weaponized. That's where all these cases against Trump are. And, and they have to be just losing their shit that Trump is constantly, constantly going up in the polls the more they indict him. And now all the cases are falling apart. Most of them are not even going to be able to be even visited in 2024. And you just see this. And this 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 entire, I guess we could call it a, a coup, uh, is breaking apart in real time when we're exposing this stuff. So I hope that's a general overview, guys, of what the last seven years have looked like, why we're talking about Norm Eisen so much, why we're talking about Media Matters and David Brock and all of these characters, Michael Teeter, by the way, I throw in there that Michael Teeter is the executive director of the 65 Project under David Brock, which was weaponized lawfare also to go against attorneys to get him disbarred in several states for representing Trump in 2020 election cases, January 6th cases, Carrie Lake's case out here, the attorney involved out here, they're coming after him. That same Michael Teeter represents Ray Epps and his lawsuit against Fox News. And so you put all this together and you look at all this and it really starts to paint a picture, doesn't it? 
it paints the picture of what we have lived through. And, and what's interesting is we had warnings, right, throughout, but we've never, right, it took us a long time because of the censorship to put all of these different pieces of the puzzle together. And, and what I'm most interested about is the way, and, and the reason I think what we're doing here has to be, like, done and done urgently is this ties exactly to the lawsuit of right that 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 Rumble and Chris Pivlovsky is bringing against Media Matters, that True Social is bringing against a variety of people in this network, um, and the criminal investigations by Ken Paxton and the Attorney General of Texas and Andrew Bailey, the Attorney General of Missouri, into Media Matters and the lawfare and censorship uh, cabal. And, and this is why I want to emphasize it, because it could not, once you realize it, once you get these pieces of the puzzle put together, it couldn't be more clear to see that they followed explicitly and to the T a playbook that they have outlined that we can point to other examples of them doing over and over and over again, and most especially in the Orange Revolution in Ukraine, the, the tie of uh, Rene DiResta, Michael McFall, the Stanford Internet Observatory, right, which we've talked at length about all year, uh, the tie of Norm Eisen, uh, all their ties to Ukraine, right? And then you think about what was the first impeachment about President Trump about? Well, it was about a, a phone, phone call to Ukraine where a bunch of deep state bureaucrats in the diplomatic corps, right, claimed that Donald Trump had violated everything because he went against what they thought was supposed to happen. Um, the fact that Norm Eisen had actually uh, laid out the articles of impeachment and, right, like he'd literally written impeachment over that even before the phone call that was the basis of the impeachment had ever happened is it's, it's pretty wild to think about um, that the, the fact that they lay out in this book, this color revolution book by Norm Eisen, he lays out specifically using impeachment as a way to weaken your political opposition in order to institute a color revolution. Right. And, and so that, that right, that's one of the steps that he literally in detail specifically outlines. And then what's the next detail that he outlines? It's not the next one, but another detail in like the process for um, having a color revolution. Right. Then he dives into right the entire thing about, oh, my God, how that you claim that the electoral process and the election process is flawed, corrupted by the incumbent that they're using and abusing the system in order to do it. And the, and you launch large-scale protests. That then you blame all the violence and other stuff, the summer of love, right? So, uh, again, their playbook, we, we have the ability now, right, even more than Darren Beatty when he wrote that article, to go back and apply the real events that we all live through with uh, the summer of love, the COVID lockdowns, the election bullshit, 
right? The the it, the two impeachments of President Trump. Uh, we can look back at those, and we can literally look back to Norm Eisen's book on color revolutions, and say, okay, well, he's got a twelve step process in order to to launch a color revolution. Let's see how they did, and whether it lines up to right all of the exact infrastructure that Norm Eisen happens to be the general counsel of. <laughs> I, I mean, it's so effing odd, right? Like we, when you read it and you see it, you're like, okay, so the dude wrote, it, it, it's the same thing as the David Brock 2017 memo, which is these guys literally project out to everybody who would listen to them. Like, look at me, I'm an expert on color revolutions. Look at me, I'm an expert on taking down the opposition. Here is a playbook that we should follow in order to stop the bad Trump, right? The bad orange man. This is how we stop it. This is how we do it. And it's all right there. And now from where we sit now, right, we have the ability to just go step by step and say, all right, well, did they use impeachment as a way to weaken the incumbent candidate and say that he was lost? Yeah, we could say that happened. Did they launch major protests all over the country and then blame it on the incumbent in order to drive public sentiment? Yeah, we lived through the summer of love. We remember that. Did they stoke racial divide and use identity politics, right, in order to claim that the incumbent was somehow racist or against very specific minority groups? Oh, yep, that that one sure fits, right? Oh, did they claim that the incumbent would not honor or recognize the standard electoral and election norms? Oh, oh, oh yeah, no, I, I do kind of remember them saying that Donald Trump wouldn't leave office, right? That that somehow he was going to, you know, install the Q shaman as the head of government by taking over the Capitol or whatever the F we're supposed to believe at this point. Yep, I remember that happening. It was a color revolution. And, and the people who wrote the book on cover, color revolutions were the same people who are at the Stanford Internet Observatory, who are at the election uh, election integrity project, who are at States United, who was at all of the different infrastructure that we've been exposing all year. And at the center of it is the same group of scumbag lawyers led by Norm Eisen. And the reason that it's the lawyer is that they believe that they can hide their illegal and illicit activities behind attorney-client privilege. Go ahead, guys. Okay, now listen, I might be crazy, right? But like, this is why I have been so dead set on Norm Eisen, right? Is when I realized that he has run color revolutions in other countries, and then if you look at what happened over the past five years, it literally goes along with his playbook. And then when I bring this to people, they're like, Jen, Jen, that's so cute. Listen, honey, like he, he is way too powerful to go after. What? He's too powerful to go after. Donald Trump was powerful. They went after him. Like, there is no such thing as too powerful. Y'all are a bunch of pussies. And that's the problem, right? Is you're letting people become too powerful when they are literally laying out the playbook and then laughing in your face because, oh, we have decorum. 
we're Republicans. We're like Michelle Obama's penis. We go high when they go low. Bullshit. Let's drag their ass in the mud and have a fucking mud wrestling fucking thing if we have to. Like, why does this guy get to go on CNN and be like, oh, well, I know Donald Trump is going to get charged with this because I wrote the law. And it's like, oh, look at Norm Eisen. He thinks he wrote. No, he actually did. So are we going to let this man keep, you know, going out there and operating and, and directing the shit that he's doing? Or are we really going to take back our country and actually make this man accountable by law in order for what he's done? Now, they took away Michael Cohen, uh, his attorney-client privilege. Now, granted, Michael is an idiot. He has been having AI write his briefs. And they were citing fake court cases, okay? But that's Michael, okay? But why does Norm Eisen get to keep his attorney-client privilege? Like, why can we not go after that? Oh, he's too powerful? Well, grow a freaking sack. Well, we're definitely going after him. And But I, 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 I can confirm, by the way. So Jen brought forward this information on Norm Eisen to several powerful people you would Names you would recognize inside the Congress and the Senate, where right, we tried very explicitly to be like, um, hey, uh, uh, hello, there's this guy. His name's uh, Norm Eisen. Uh, you've probably seen him on CNN. Uh, turns out he wrote this, this, this little book on color revolutions, and it's the funniest thing. There's whole chapters about getting the government to use impeachment to weaken the incumbent. Oh, and there's a whole thing about spurring racial and minority division through large-scale protests, <clears throat> Summer of Love. But, like, and, and we have him admitting to all of this stuff and bragging about it over and over and over again. And uh, there's direct ties to January 6th, like 10 different direct ties that we could show from, like, Norm Eisen to, like, what happened on January 6th. Could we maybe bring this forward? Could you maybe, you know, like hold a hearing or do something? And like Jen said, the answer we got in return was, oh, well, that guy's really powerful. And I don't, I don't know that that's a fight we're ready to take on right now. Uh, maybe, maybe you guys could find, you know, uh, an easier target for us. Because, you know, I may be a sitting member of Congress, but, you know, I'm, I'm afraid to take on the, the, the machine that is like what the color revolution, Norm Eisen, like th think think about the complex and, and right. Yes, it's cowardly, and yes, we've come to expect that kind of cowardice from our elected officials. But right to their defense, think about how freaking wild and well built all of this machinery that we've been exposing is, right? In, in order to be able to pull off national riots to the degree of the summer of love to pull off uh two impeachments to pull off the ubiquitous and incessant media narrative that's like parroted by everybody in the media in order to pull off the false flag on january 6th in order to like drive that narrative home right the january 6th committee all of the censorship right being able to censor everybody and we started this Space by talking about uh, Pepe Grandma, uh, Bad Kitty's thread on, right? Part of that was even 
warning and sending warnings out to every governor in the country that National Guard and the military could not provide security or even be around during any of the election process. So th there, there is no doubt this is an incredibly dangerous and powerful enemy to have. However, why is it up to a bunch of freaking brave people on the internet to do it? And all of these congressmen who told us for all of these years that it was too big of a fight and they just could take it on. If we want to know why we hate Republicans, why often I am so freaking ruthless and angry about it, we bring this stuff to, we bring not just this, but things like this to members of Congress all the time. And what we get that, what we get in return is just such watered down, ridiculous nonsense. And then like preening and, and bloviating for Fox News appearances. Meanwhile, they don't get anything done. They don't use their special investigative powers to actually dig deeper than the public record that we're able to get. So give my man trash discourse subpoena power and watch us. We're not afraid to take this fight on. Go ahead, Jen. Yeah, I just want to point out that one of the biggest moments of clarity, I guess, I've had in this whole thing and how I realized like this was all freaking bullshit is when following We Build the Wall, someone in Norm Eisen's uh, orbit contacted us and was like, listen, guys, like if you throw Steve Bannon under the bus, you go out and you say that he's a terrible man, that he's pretty much Satan and that everyone should be against him. All of your problems will go away. All the court cases, everything will go away if you just go out and throw them under the bus. And I realized I was like, well, wait a second. Like, they don't care about the truth. This is all just about taking down people, whether it's the truth or not. And, and that made me realize, like, okay, so none of the laws and none of this stuff is going to help because they are just dead set on just stopping Trump at any cost. And that's what we have to keep in mind for 2024. Well, yeah, no, and, and listen, I, I think it's important for us to emphasize that th think think about the when when you read the playbook, right, and 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 you study what these color revolutions are, right? What what you realize is they are multi-year, right, really complex conspiracies in order to overthrow the government. Right, and that that we develop these playbooks so that our intelligence community could project American power through regime change all over the world. Now, right, you you take a step back and you start to think about what happens when that's applied here at home, but the complexity of, well, you had the Russia collusion, right, where they took a completely fabricated, made-up piece of bullshit uh, in the Steele dossier. And they used that for years to claim that Ru Donald Trump is a Russian, like he, Russian compromat. And he, he's secretly Putin's puppet and blah, 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 right? And, and think about how universally and how effectively the media was able to parrot that nonsense and how they built uh, all of this other stuff, the Mueller investigation, right? All of the, the, these other things that they built 
as a result of those original plot to just feed the public perception doubts around, oh, the PP tapes and oh, right, uh, all the Russian compromise. Now apply that forward and just realize that there is a small cabal who run the censorship, who created the censorship and lawfare infrastructure in this country. And they've been directing it at Donald Trump and his effective supporters uh, really since before he won in 2016. And it's culminated, if you want to know why some random secretary of state who wasn't elected, wasn't even elected by the people of Maine, right, was appointed by the Maine legislature, would suddenly come out of the blue and say, Oh, yeah, no, uh, I have determined that Trump is an insurrectionist and therefore will not be on the ballot. If you want to know how we got to that point, when the fact that there, no insurrection ever happened, this this is the playbook that you need to look at. And that's that's why we're exposing it. All right, Jen and then Trash or whatever you guys want to do. Yeah, so I, want, I just want to point something out real quick. And Trash, maybe you can expand on what I'm about to say because I haven't truly like tied this all together um in my mind yet and patrick uh i know you sent me a dm and i'm probably going to butcher this but what we are seeing with the unlimited money and to the ukraine and and the military weaponry um and then you look at norm eisen's history with ukraine then you look at january 6 and the ties to the orange revolution um it it really appears in my mind that like we're either like paying Ukraine back for something or they have something over us that, uh, you know, they want us to keep our mouth shut. So pretty much like I, I, I don't even know what it is and I haven't quite made this out. Uh, but then you look at the relationships to the open societies and the Soros Foundation um, it, it really looks like it was all one big plot, and that's why we see the the unlimited money and, and resources going to a hopeless war that I'm not even sure exists. So, Trash, go ahead. Yeah, no, I want well, I agree, and and also I just wanted to point out, and I'm I'm hearing, I'm looking for some sauce on this. I'm not finding it, so if you guys can help me, I'm hearing or I saw that Shanna Bellows, the uh, Secretary of State of Maine. Previously worked for CISA, so I'd like for somebody to give me some sauce on that. I was looking for that because that wouldn't shock me a bit. Uh, but number two, I wanted to point out, what was the first Twitter files drop essentially, right? It was Stanford Internet Observatory, EIP, Alex Stamos, Renee DeResta. Like that was the first piece that dropped once they started getting access to all this stuff. And it's a huge piece that brings all of this together and Michael McFall because of the censorship machine that was built. So, you know, I'm going to keep looking into this. I would really love to get this answer one day. But I think a lot of people were wondering why Elon bought, you know, X. And I just wonder if he figured out this entire thing and was like, okay, we got this. There's only one way to break this thing apart. Meta won't be the way. X is going to be the only way. And he purposely bought that crime scene because he figured out this entire thing had happened in 2020. 
Go ahead, Patrick. So um, just to add a little color to the color revolution. Um, but I think you're, you're I, I, I have actually, um, Trash wondered if how much stuff they deleted or hid because he let people go so fast. How many skeletons are still there, which I'm sure they're still finding. But on the color, on the Ukraine thing, if you haven't watched Oliver Stone's Ukraine on Fire, which I'm not a fan of, is I it, I had to like say okay, this has to be worth it because it was recommended by a friend as the Ukraine thing heated up. He does a great job of breaking down the funding for the Maidan, and he actually shows on screen documents that used to be on the State Department website where we gave almost two million dollars to the Maidan uprising while we were in another room telling Yanukovych we had his back. He'd won the election and. I think the the way that there's um, the reason we wanted Ukraine is the only major body of water where we don't have U.S. military presence is the Black Sea. There are massive lithium and cobalt deposits, amongst other things, specifically in that eastern section. So if I was on the geopolitical side of the government, I would probably buy into this whole adventure for that reason. And the National Endowment of Democracy is just the CIA's front company for for coups. And USAID is our other end to incentivize that. And then the EU bought in because they want access to all the gas and other energy resources there. So again, I think that's how like reasonable people in government could justify this, is that it would open the way to us having truly global hegemony across the entirety of really the entire ocean portion of the world. And that was the one piece we didn't have, Black Sea. On the flip side, the other folks that are much more malignant actors, like this this guy, uh, Norm Eisen, they are bought in because they want to practice what they want to do here, there, in my opinion. So. Well, and, and I, I, I want to emphasize a couple things, right? So the, the right way I want to bring this up is look at the formation, right? The legal and NGO corporation formation that our intelligence community set up in order to facilitate the color revolution uh, in Ukraine and in Lithuania and Czechoslovakia, right? We've, we've done this on multiple occasions. There's lots of like case examples that we can go. The Arab through. Spring too, Dustin, all those were the same model. Uh, slightly upgraded, right? Well, it's slightly different for the, the Arab Spring, right? But but most specifically, what you just talked about with the National Endowment for Democracy and uh, USAID, which are these intelligence fronts that funneled money and support and media attention in order to drive, right, the color revolutions and the regime changes that we saw in these other countries. And then we look at what we've been exposing all year with the creation of the Stanford Internet Observatory, with uh, Election Integrity Project, with the Global Engagement Center, right? And when we start, right, and, and I know these things sounded separate when we were talking about them, but right, the, the pull through here is that this is a playbook of setting up these different entities that perform different compartmentalized tasks in order to affect an outcome of disrupting and overthrowing a populist 
a democratically elected government, right? Which is what what do you do if you're a liberal, right? And not 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 a rank and file liberal, but like a power player. We're talking the war hawk liberals, right? The 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 people who control the security and intelligence communities, right? And the Halliburtons and all this other stuff. We have actual case study that we can go back and look at, and then we can compare that to like the infrastructure they set up that you has been deployed against President Trump. And the similarities are fucking wild, right? They're too much to be ignored because the playbooks are followed so precisely. That that and, and, and I think that's the piece that we're really trying to get at, which is the way in which they stick to the playbook, like trust the plan, if you will. And we, have, we haven't even gotten into like how some of the Q stuff was also implemented in these other color revolutions, right? That, that, that part of the, the other color revolution strategy is this disinformation campaign where you get people to believe there's a secret group acting inside the government and they're secretly in control of everything. And all you have to do is sit back and trust the plan, right? That It's wild how they took everything that was effective in those other case studies that we could look back on Ukraine. And there's also a money, like a laundering element to all of this, right? Which is uh, all of the Ukraine stuff, right? The, the, the circle of money between these intelligence community carve-outs and stand-ups like USAID and the National Endowment of Democracy, um, right? There are massive amounts of government funding that gets circled around through these things in a way that is troubling. In a way, yeah, in a way that the Pentagon will fail six audits in a row type money. And when you, when you, when you look at this entire thing, right, I think we've laid this out. We've laid it out all year, Dustin, Jen. Millie, we've laid this out all year in pieces to your point. And it wasn't on purpose. It was to be thorough with every piece of this. And then when you start seeing these documents, you really start to be able to form in retrospect and look at the entire, I mean, I'm going to say it, like the entire Kraken that was formed here to try to take over the most powerful nation and the most powerful document in the world, in the Constitution, and how they had to do that. And it was all about public perception. I mean, you could liken the Q stuff to the Bolshevik Revolution, right? The the cessation ops. How the Bolshevik... Project Trust. Project Trust. Exactly right. And so you look at all these things, and it's like, they're just... This is why we say all the time, like, they're... they're, I mean, they're, they're smart people. They're evil smart. But they're also stupid. And what's fascinating to me is there's no way in hell that they're going to be able to build this monstrosity in time if this whole thing is exposed before we get into 2024. How are they going to rebuild this in time? I mean, we so something we're, we're going to have to figure out something for 2024, whether it's a documentary, whether it's, I don't know, I, maybe I get a hold of Glenn Beck's team and he does a whiteboard on it. I don't know what we're going to need to do, uh, but really need to kind of actually whiteboard this and put it together. Because you can, I, it's crystal clear. We can see the whole thing. Sure. Are we going to be missing stuff? 100%, right? This is a massive operation that didn't just kick up a couple years ago. So like, but 
the overall picture's there. And uh, it's, it's fascinating stuff. And, you know, I remember Jen and I were talking about doing a, doing a space a while ago in Normize, and we were like, let's talk about the Orange Revolution, you know, 2004, 2005. And it, it was really it was really poignant at the time. We just had so much coming at us at once because the dam is being broken. The censorship machine is really limping right now. Um, and they are not going to be able to recover what they've gained through that. And then when, when Missouri v. Biden kicks up and Supreme Court rules on the injunction is legit, now the government, CISA, the White House, CDC, all these are unable to levy pressure on social media companies to censor. So that's where your metas and Instagrams start trailing off. Google's all in. They'll always be all in. So I, I forget about that. They're, we're screwed with YouTube and Google. But you see what I'm saying? Like the machine is breaking apart. We just got to get it out there. This is not about having a few thousand people in a Twitter space. This is not about having a couple threads put together and going viral. There's nothing to do with it. This picture is crystal clear and anyone really can absorb this if you just consider the material that we've been presenting to you for a year. No, and, and I think that's the point. I love the idea of like maybe a documentary. It's, it's funny trash because I was sitting here thinking when I was ranting before about, right, the, the playbook. And right, really... It's it, it, it between that on like right the playbook for instituting a color revolution and the David Brock 2017 memo, right? And you take those two things and then you just take like what they talked about that their plan was to do, and then you just marry the footage and the coverage of like the implementation in real time that everybody lived through. And the fact that it was this nefarious and Machiavellian as far as the plot is there for us to look at. And I, I, I think, again, this is the reason I've tried to, to say this a lot in, a, right, in, in many spaces the last couple months, which is the reason that I don't think, right, the reason I've refused the black pill of, well, doesn't matter what we do, the elections are just stolen anyway. To me, this is their, we, we have their playbook. We, we know how much it takes in order to operate it. You have to have the academic piece, the protester piece. You have to have the media piece. You have to have the control of information and the public sediment piece, right? You have to have all of these different pieces in order for it to like come together and, and right, get the result of, uh, destroying your political opposition. The fact that we have piece by piece started to deconstruct and expose and tear apart, often by dragging people like the Weaponization Committee kicking and screaming into actually talking about this shit, right? Like, it uh, has been no small feat by itself just to force them to talk about this or to have the hearings. Right. And it's not just us, by the way, on that. Right. Shout out to Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger um, and to Tara Rodas and the DHS whistleblowers. Right. But we've had to lead them in order to get here. But as Trash pointed out, uh, do are they going to have the ability to recreate this infrastructure as we go after them through right? not lawfare, but legitimate lawsuits about the way our rights were violated, the fact that we've been able to expose right, the government's involvement, funding of these different operations, 
And the other part that we haven't talked about here is there is one player beside right, Norm Eisen, central figure. I, I think if you pull on that thread, the whole house of cards comes down. Just like David Brock and Media Batters, right? That that's another one that's just right at the center. But really, also right in the middle of all of this is somebody who's notorious for destabilizing governments and then profiting off of the ensuing economic destruction and chaos that results. And that's George Soros, right? And and so the Open Society Foundation and the Soros money is also another pull-through that we can find in every piece of this stuff. And not just here, right? And that's what I loved about the Darren Beatty article, why I wanted to go through it. Same people, same playbook, same fucking money. It's, right, it's literally the same cast of characters who put together a playbook on disrupting and overthrowing governments, right? Destabilizing governments who are right at the center of the construction of all of the infrastructure that we've been exposing all year. And so I think we take all of this cumulative work that we've done. And I, I, I think the way that it's happened, right, was organic and probably divinely inspired. I don't think this happens without God in any way, right? But I, I, I think the fact that we've been able to take this journey together over the course of the year has put us in the perfect situation to, and, and I think really maybe the answer is to take the normizing playbook, right? His book, The Playbook on Color Revolutions, to take that and to take the, um, we take that and the David Brock memo, and we literally just go through and we show what they talked about doing, and then we show like how they set it up with the news coverage, the summer of love, the January 6th stuff, the impeachments, the whole deal. And maybe that gets us to the point where we can get enough people to see this, that, that real justice is done, and we can pierce the attorney-client privilege of normizing. Because I, I, I think that's the moment you'll get attorney-client privilege, right? And there's lots of mob case law on this. Right, but attorneys don't have it's not it's not like a, a unbreakable thing where they're allowed to just do whatever the hell they want and continue on that way. All right, go ahead, Jen, get in here. Yeah, so I want to point out how they have okay, so yes, all of the money, a lot of it, and the inspiration is coming from George Soros and the Open Societies Foundation, right? But they've made it so that if you bring that up, you're some kind of crazy person, conspiracy theorist, anti-Semitic. You hate Jewish people if you talk against George Soros, even though he's the one who turned the Jews over to the Nazis. Let's just put that out there. Right. So why have they made it so you can't condemn or go after the source of where this is all is coming from? And if you look at what's happening at the border, the reason we have hundreds of thousands of people per month coming into this country is because of George Soros and the Open Societies Foundation. Um, and then if you look at the Transition Integrity Project with Rosa Brooks, who sits on the board of the Open Societies Foundation, who was running uh, the the scenarios of how this was all going to turn out. So why can we not call like a spade a spade? Go ahead, Josh. 
Well, we're going to. And I don't really care what people call me because everybody knows my stance on a lot of things. And anti-Semitic is not one of them. I'm not anti-people at all. I'm anti-bad actors, but I'm not anti-people. I, I don't really care. I'm all I'm a merit, meritocratic guy, man. Meritocracy all the way. I don't really give a shit what color you are, what religion you are. I don't care. Um, so they can say whatever they want. But it's not just open society, right? So like what Jack's thread uh, regarding open society, where the woman's openly bragging in the interview that they are funded. This is crude we're talking about, right? Normizing crew, where she says, yes, they depend on grants from uh, open society. But she says, well, George doesn't actually, uh, George doesn't actually make any decisions for us. He never tells us what we should or shouldn't be doing. So yes, because you created organizations that align with his goals. So he didn't have to tell you because you're doing it already. And he's going to continue sending you money when you're producing results like you're doing. And so that's how it works. But it wasn't just open society. It's also uh, what was share blue that became act blue. It wasn't, it wasn't just American bridge. It wasn't just media matters. It's all of these organizations. So it's not just open society. It's, it's a lot of these organizations. And, and so I think people really need to understand that. And I think it's okay to talk about it. So, because that ultimately is it. And, and, it's, and it's obvious to me, it's crystal clear to me, all the work we've done on censorship and, and these various different organizations and NGOs and CIA carve outs, that it is also our, our own government uh, through grants that is funding this against the American people itself, our taxpayer dollars. So I just want to note that as well. No, great stuff. And uh, it's taking a minute to go through some of the comments. Um, right. And, and digest. Uh, I, I, I think, A, this is going to be something that right, allows us to really emphasize and bring about, about a lot of this about. But like I said at the beginning, I think it's really important for us to get organized and lay out this case in as clear a way as we can. Uh, first, just in a, a broader, like building out the opposition research file, but then doing a documentary or other um, ways to bring this information forward. Um, because, again, and what's funny, Trash, uh, I swear that I did not know that the Ch the Secretary of State of Maine was attached to CISA when I made the comment earlier. Right? I just threw out, like, hey, do you want to know why? Of course. Of course she has ties directly to all of this infrastructure that we're exposing, the color revolution infrastructure that was set up to stop President Trump. And, and that's, it's just wild. It's wild how much this stuff all ties together. But let's get Rose in here. Good to see you. Hey, folks. Um, <clears throat> just listening to all the, you know, putting thing, all the pieces together. And uh, it's so funny that... Uh, I was thinking about all of that this morning and I was thinking of like just putting a, a PowerPoint together on, you know, just just from a basic presentation standpoint um, to share with people that we want to share with it in official spaces, um, you know, but <clears throat> things are coming in fast and furious and um, and obviously, with the new uh, diagram gentleman who's putting that kind of white, you know, electronic whiteboard together, it should be pretty fascinating. Um, <clears throat> you know, and, and don't forget about the COVID uh, narrative, which they re also refuse to let go. And they are sticking to the plan. Um, and they 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 will not deviate they they still are doing their thing 
Um, but in case of uh, normalizing, you know, looking at his, you know, he wrote the legal argument for the Georgia case. He wrote the legal argument for the New York case. He wrote the legal argument for the DC case. And then basically he and the team of <clears throat> attorneys, a, a part of this law group, in essence, wrote this whole 14th Amendment nonsense. Um, the J6, you know, uh, there's no doubt. Um, I just keep thinking about our inability to move massive amounts of people that like they can. And I'm coming to the summation that, you know, the whole BLM, the whole, all of that, you know, this June was a nightmare with the trans thing. You know, that's all a major distraction and a divisive tactic. And, and then, you know, the Sunrise Movement, um, you know, really bringing that into the circle is that they have hand-selected individuals from colleges around the country to be leadership in that organization based on subject matter and meaning topics. And they brought this young girl, and I, I gave it to the group, as part of and one of the directors of Action of Sunrise, who is heavily involved in the Palestinian movement. And she has the means to activate all of these groups um, in, in coordination with other groups when you're seeing all of this activity in all the major cities and on campuses regarding um, <clears throat> this narrative of, um, you know, they are fighting back against the oppressors. But, you know, I, I, I really try to stay away from that topic because it is such an emotional topic for people. Um, and it, I, I think it's, a, it, it's, it's very similar to the race card. And then you get into the religion card. And it's just one of those hot button issues that they love to leverage. Um, but I agreed with you last night, Trash, and I'm uh, sorry that your space kind of got derailed, but um, we really do have to pay attention to really what's going on within our government and the Restrict Act stuff. Uh, also, the judicial watch, we need to watch what they're doing with Alito. Um, and this whole push, you know, it, I, it's not to see the, I, I think they're trying to discredit members of the judiciary so that they um, can make the social, you know, arguments socially to push that. Um, another topic, <laughs> I found a repository of archived articles written by um, Eisen and 
also a I found old conferences that he went to that are dealing with judiciary issues. And I sent that link to the archive, um, to the group. But, you know, back in 218, before the election, Eisen, in collaboration with some other folks, wrote this article about the lack of um, the ability to audit an election because they were still tied in with the 216 Russia thing, right? And how the Russians infiltrated our election system and everything else. But they actually were arguing about the uh, inability to challenge an election properly. And that is to be able to access the records within the machines and the dangerousness of the machines and the connectivity. And isn't it just fascinating that this is exactly what they're arguing uh, against right now? Meaning they don't want people looking at the stuff. So, you know, I would think that weaponizing his own words against him would be very useful. Um, and I bet we can probably find other instances of that. Um, and then I'll just close on this. You know, it's you know, part of my PowerPoint would be to kind of throw some ideas against the wall, almost like a post-it note thing, on how we can develop messaging um, proactively to uh, drive a can drive our information out in palatable ways and to create. Uh, you know, things worded words or slogans that we can tie to that piece that will be prompts. You know, I, I was thinking of something like, um, what do you, what do you believe in? Or um, what do you stand for? Uh, uh, it's almost like a campaign slogan, right? And then build it around there, and, and, you know, or doing like using an ad campaign style, proving that all they're getting are advertisements and how they work. You know, it's just like Nike selling a brand, trying to sell sneakers. You know, that's what they're doing with all of this color revolution stuff, which is uh, selecting a hot point and then driving messaging or the whole insurrection word surrounding an event. Um, you know, we know what's coming down the pike from them already. They've given it to us. So, you know, devising ways to, in tandem with other people who have massive reaches across social media um, to consolidate our messaging into one one thing that uh, in a positive way get it out there and and make that stick in their heads so uh, you know a lot of people can't get into the weeds they could it, it overwhelms them very quickly 
but you can simplify it for them and say, why do you believe in this? Why do you believe in that? Um, why do you like Nike over Converse? It's the same thing. So um, anyway, those are my thoughts for the day. I think we're all on the same page today. Uh, great minds or lack of great minds think alike. So yeah, we're, 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 sh- we're, we're sharing the same spacecraft, if you will. Uh, pre- appreciate it, Rose, and we'll, we'd love to like uh, see that repository of the Normizen articles. I mean, the guy is, uh, you, you can't argue that he's been prolific, but as, as far as some of the messaging goes, have you guys seen, and there, there's a whole series, they're always uh, narrated by Peter Dinklage, right? Like how to become a cult leader and uh, how to become a mob boss and, right, like where they kind of go through the playbook of like how cult leaders are create, like how cult leaders become cult leaders. And maybe we draw some inspiration from that as far as how we break down and compartmentalize a lot of this information. Because thinking about it, we've spent a year almost nonstop, right? Like that being a, a, a as trash, right, uh, often reminds us, this is his wheelhouse. He has brought forward so much of this information. But it's taken us a year of doing spaces every week on different pieces of this thing to get to the point where we bring it home with like the central pieces, right? And it's just like a puzzle. You have to do complete the different regions on like the academic part. And you have to complete the region on the intelligence community part and the big tech oligarch park and the CTI, right? And the, the, the lawfare part. And all of those pieces, it, only when you start to put all of the pieces together, do you realize that at the center of all those pieces is a very small, very powerful group of people right in the middle. And Norm Eisen, I think, is maybe the weakest link of that central power group, right? I think he has the, the least amount of defense, although, right, I, I think... I, I think we can anticipate some of the ways that we'll, we'll, we'll see the current is holy war bullshit play into like how they circle the Raggins around Norm Eisen, which is um, criticism of Norm Eisen, I think, will be attacked for being anti-Semitic, just like the George Soros stuff. And I would also expect to see some misinformation um, injected or write some, some dis. It's not even disinformation, but right, that, that we'll, we'll, we'll also, this is where we're going to get attacked again by both sides of the holy war. Because, right, the 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 Palestine side of the holy war is going to say that we're not attacking him enough for being Jewish. And the other side, we're going to get also attacked because uh, it's anti-Semitic to question or bring up anything anyone Jewish has ever done. As I, I do foresee as part of like the battlefield going forward for us, will be like trying to walk that line and receiving barbs from both sides um, because one side will want to make it all about their fucking Zionism hunting bullshit and the other side will try to claim that we're being anti-Semitic for bringing it up because how dare you criticize somebody who used to work for the Anti-Defamation League. And so, right, it, it, it's going to be tricky. And just know... Like, uh, our goal is to bring forward the information about the current plot 
to remove and attack President Trump on every level by these MFers. And so, right, miss us with the other stuff. Like, just don't get, uh, realize, yes, believe it or not, we we have, we we know, I guess is what I'm saying. We know. All right, let's go. I get, just one more thing, too. Uh, we can't count out the establishment uniparty activity with all these people leaving Congress right now. There is no doubt in my mind they're gearing up for if, if the slap fair doesn't work, it's a convention steal. If that doesn't work, you know, we have to kind of really keep an eye on these players here and what they're doing. Um, I It just makes me nervous, you know, uh, because they have the ability to influence a the dollars b the legislative bodies in these states oh well that that's a whole nother rabbit hole but i i think everybody knows my position on the article 5 convention of states and how dangerous it is let's not let's not try to fix our problems by f attacking the one thing that is actually no 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 i'm talking about the election convention not the oh. Not not the state, no, the convention of state. Oh, you're talking about with Trump. Yeah, no, listen, uh, I'm, to be honest, I'm, I'm not overly worried about the convention. They tried that bullshit um, in 2016. And at the end of the day, like Trump does have, like, if the Republican Party wants to burn itself completely to the ground, I don't, I, I think there's a, a element of self-preservation around that. That, like they they know they can't go there. I don't think they can rally enough support. Like can you can imagine how many of us would turn out to the convention if they tried to pull some shenanigans like that? So I I I, I think it's kind of interesting, right? I I get that that's a concern, but my concern is more the the lawfare components of this, and to right we just the same way we can look at the color revolution in the lead up to replacing. Uh, a head of state in these other countries. We can also look what happens in the immediate aftermath. And what, what happens in the immediate aftermath is a criminalization of your political opposition. Exactly what the Biden administration has done. Right? Think, think, think about it. Right? Whether it's Zelensky immediately arresting the leader of his political opposition and then criminalizing the opposing political party we, we we see very similar tactics being deployed here. And every time that they use these particular set of tactics to seize power, uh, we can also see in which the ways in which that power is abused once they take control of the government. And I would look at the whole Bolsonaro thing because that is a, the perfect template. Yeah, no, uh, really an, another one. Um, and, and again, it's, we see it happening all over the place. And Bolsonaro and the election of Lula is another exact example of where this playbook was deployed. It's a great, great one. All right, let's go to Jack. Go ahead, Jack, and then we'll go Prescott. Yeah, I was just wanted to comment on the idea of the putting everything together in place. Um, I would just, you know, just remind everyone that I am creating that uh, MindMeister map. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, hold on, let me just get my thoughts together. Yeah, it's um, 
if anybody wants to help out with me, help me out with it because it is pretty big here and i'll just put it in context i've um i'm i've studied mechanical engineering and i will tell you that this whole mind thing doesn't make my head hurt anywhere near as much as this does nothing and nothing i did in engineering makes my <laughs> head hurt as much as going through all this does so it's a huge undertaking but if anybody ever wants to help me out just uh, let me know and i can give you access no, absolutely, Jay. And uh, actually, I was going through your thread a little bit, and I've, I've looked at the map, and I really appreciate the work you've put into that. Um, I think we'll do a space. Um, I, I, I even thought we might do it in this space, where I'd just pull your thread up and we'd go through person by person. Um, but I do, I, I'm kind of thinking that maybe the, the best idea we have here is I, I kind of want to keep this on normizing. Right, and maybe even keep this space short, and I'll pull a trash. We can add it to our highlight reel, so other people could come back and listen to it without having like an ex a bunch of extra stuff attached to it. And then maybe maybe the answer is we fire up another space uh, to go through uh, the thread that you put together. And you're welcome, Jack, to uh, pin it up top again. And uh, uh, right, I'm I'm happy to drive people for them to start going through it and looking at it and commenting retweeting all that good stuff because i appreciate the work you've put in on that i see you put it up there um right because this is a lot of different and compartmentalized things that we've talked about throughout the year and and what's cool is that a lot of the times that we've been able to add to the puzzle were not things that we had control of. the twitter files i mean how massive was that to give us different threads to pull on Right to to add different things, and then the CTI league files, which gave us new names and new threads to pull. And I'm I'm gonna go back to one of the ways that Norm Eisen became a standout to us, and why Jen approached dozens of members of Congress years ago to try to bring this information forward. Right, she she put together. I'm not even joking, like a full blown dossier on Norm Eisen and color revolutions that was delivered to a bunch of members of Congress and where, where we requested that they, you know, hold hearings and use their investigative power. Like, this is the guy you need to target. Um, and they largely told us that he was too powerful. It wasn't somewhere they were willing to go, something that they were willing to take on. And now, though, we have enough, and I think that there's, at, at least amongst our core base, because of Taibbi and Schellenberger and Elon, and Rumble, and uh, Missouri v. Biden, and Tracy Beans, the work that all of these different people have put in. I think we're at a point now that there is enough understanding of the different compartments that if, if we do and put something together that weaves it together in a way that isn't too wonky, that isn't too deep in the weeds, that we, right, in some ways, maybe the way we have to do it is like, like a Netflix series, right? Where we go back and we crystallize down, right? Here is the academic wing. Here is the NGO wing. Here is the election integrity project. Here is the global engagement center, right? And we do like one each, like maybe like in a week we hit boom, 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 boom. And then we do like the big weave together of how it all comes together. And right at the center of that, is Norm Eisen, Michael McFaul, and the color revolutionaries. By the way, their ties to Obama, 
Barack Hussein Obama go all the way back to their time at Harvard Law School, and they're well known, um, right? And the, you can find many, many instances of articles talking about how their friendship in Harvard was a critical moment in the development of Barack Obama's political ideology, these color revolutionaries. All right, Prescott, go ahead, get in. Hi, yeah, I want to thank you guys really for bringing this stuff out. I, I listened to um, the the uh, space on the document The Count a while back, and I put together a, a post um, using you guys' information, and I uh, I linked you guys in it, but um, I'm a small account. I only had two, 256 followers, and I posted that um, document uh, early in the morning before people had, like, weighed in on a bunch of really big um, – uh, pages and I ended up getting you know 105,000 views and doubled my uh, following. This is gaining traction big time, and um, people are hearing it. So, but I'm curious: does anybody here have Elon's ear? Because he has to be a key figure in this. I think he has, you know, expressed his hatred for Media Matters and his willingness to go after anybody who funds them. Now, Crew and um, and Media Matters shared an office, and there's documentation that um, Media Matters or Crew, which either one was, uh, they were help funding each other. They're, you know, they're basically linked. If anybody has Elon's ear, I would, yeah, this needs to get before him. He needs to understand that this stuff has been going on. And I, I wouldn't suggest doing anything but be transparent and honest with him because he is highly intelligent. But we need his help. And he has vowed to go after anybody who funds Media Matters, etc. And I would think that that, you know, just seeing connections with whoever Media Matters is funding is backing should would probably also be in his interest. And he's got armies of lawyers, richest man in the world. Um, anybody who's got his ear, please get this before him. And that's basically it. Thanks. Well, no, no, I appreciate that, Prescott. And by, by the way, uh, thank you and congratulations for getting it right. Uh, the information out there, um, right? A, it we we get a lot of the credit because we get to do these spaces and bring this stuff forward. But this this is a collaborative effort by hundreds of people, thousands of people who have added different pieces. Rose bringing us stuff all the time, like one of the best researchers around, like in our groups. But I see people putting out threads all the time. That is what we want, by the way. Right. Like uh, I, I would the most important thing. It's like with memes. Right. Like when, when I love when trash talks about this, like he'll, he'll see his meme like, you know, years later after making be like, that's my baby. Oh, look at my baby. Still still out there. Still making a difference. Ah, oh, feels so good. Right. Same with this information. This information is more important than any of us, like getting all of the proper credit or right. Of course, we'd like it. We put the work in. But to the Elon thing, we've, we have been successful a couple times this year of getting Elon to engage directly with something we were working on. Uh, the last time was the Digital Platform Commissions Act, where we were able to get him to, to respond and help us elevate like this atrocious piece of legislation that was brought forward to attack, um, basically to force all social media companies to subject themselves to an al algorithm code commission that would be able to dictate like what had to be in the algorithms and what censorship they had to take. I mean, really crazy stuff. Um, so 
right? And, and and maybe, and I'm just thinking and plotting kind of out loud here, but right, I, I, I think the answer on this has to be like maybe to go back and do a greatest hits on the censorship and lawfare cabal, right? Like get our branding down around it, go back and like maybe over the course of a month or even a couple months, go back and really crystallize down, right? And hit within, I think we should try to keep it to a half an hour to an hour tops where we, we go through like our greatest hits that we've exposed for the years. We bring the best information forward. And during around that, we'll do a huge like push for everybody to write like we did around the some of the more policy oriented stuff for everybody to share it and to tag people like Elon or other high profile people. Right. Like it's got to be one of those things where we really perfect the information. We've got that like crystallized down. We bring in like the best guests that we can bring in who are directly related to the subject matter. And really do one final big push to like bring up the general education level around these different like compartmentalized and then weave the whole tapestry together. And that leads us right to normizing, right? Right to the election interference, right to the censorship and right to the lawfare. And if you guys are just joining us, I'd encourage you to go back and I'm going to keep this one fairly short and encourage you guys to share it out even when we're done and invite people to come back and listen. Because what, what we really go through in this one with Normizen uh, is the Color Revolution Playbooks. Uh, he wrote a book, and it's literally called The Playbook on Color Revolutions. It's not the whole title, it's, but it's the playbook and then some, like, boring subtitle. Um, right? But it's all about like, exactly how you institute a color revolution. And then you take that. And you apply what Norm Eisen, who wrote the book on color revolutions, then you look at all the places that he happens to just be the general counsel on when it comes to the censorship and lawfare cabal, right? And that's direct ties to media matters and the election integrity project and states united and, 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 and CNN and the mainstream media and the administration and the intelligence community and Michael McFall, McFall and CIA Renee Teresa and, 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 and this guy is literally at the center of all of it. And he claims to have attorney-client privileges to protect his communications, by the way, throughout a bunch of these different organizations. And so I, I, I think that's a pretty solid game plan. So uh, Jack, I'll let you go and then I'll give Jen and Trash like some final words and Jonathan, I saw you come up. Good to see you, man. If you wanted to say anything else, um, but we'll, we'll keep these brief. I'm going to end the space so that we have a pretty short crystallized version of the subject matter we covered specifically here. And then maybe we'll open it up here in a little bit and we'll do a more general like chat uh, space where we can cover a bunch of different topics, but I really appreciate everybody's uh, contributions. I sent so many good comments uh, so many good additions. Like I said, we're compiling like the base opposition research folder on Norm Eisen. Uh, the dude's been a CNN contributor for a long time. I want all of it, right? Not, not that I have the time to watch it all right now, but I want at least to start compiling a database right, that inside our file we have every time he's his ugly face has appeared on CNN uh, so that, you know, Maybe we transcribe those or we have AI transcribe them 
so that we can go and pick out certain words and figure out uh, really the best way to blend all this together. Maybe it's a documentary format, maybe it's a, a series format, or maybe it's a combination of all of the above. So I think that's what we got to do. All right, go ahead, Jen, and then we'll wrap it. Yeah, uh, I just want to point up in the nest, um, Walter uh, with America Mission did kind of like a, a small encapsulating article about Normizen and then updated it with the stuff with uh, Bad Kitty today. So if you wanted to look it up, it's the it'll be the first thing in the Jumbotron. I'm not sure if I yeah, it's the first thing in the Jumbotron. Uh, so if you just want like kind of a short summary and to look it over, uh, kind of compare it to what you heard today, look at uh, Walter's article. It's up in the next. That's the only reason I got a mic, Dustin, was to mention Bad Kitty stuff. So thanks, Jen. Oh, yeah, we went we went over it um, again. The, it, it's right back to the color revolution playbook, by the way. Right. So uh, and, and again, uh, the case studies, the orange revolution, the other revolutions in Eastern Europe uh, that uh, Norm Eisen and the CIA and the intelligence community were directly involved in. And then just applying the same lessons to exactly the same infrastructure and other stuff they created here. Uh, it really starts to tell the story in a way that's pretty complete. Go ahead, Trash. Yeah, uh, just for the integrity of the space, I kind of wanted to do my little uh, quick weave together of what that what that revolution looked like. If you guys don't mind, I can kind of take it down a timeline real quick. Um, it kind of encapsulates everything that we've covered, plus some. And so remember, Hillary Clinton was supposed to win, right? Hillary was supposed to win, and the takeover was supposed to be complete. Right. That, that was going to be it. Donald Trump wins and it sets him back. So what do they do? They said it's time for the coup. Right. So what do they do? David Brock. I'm sorry. Let me, before I get to David Brock, S.J. Turp, this uh, goofball, British intelligence goofball, puts together an idea for a censorship apparatus and the CTI League has a meeting at the Obama White House before Trump takes over and is inaugurated. And they go to work. They built the CTI League. They built the disarm framework, which you guys have seen before. Um, I've, I've shown that many times. Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger's great reporting on the CTI League, which was, by the way, that was not publicly sourced information. That was a whistleblower that came forward, and they have a lot more. And so we saw this SJ Terp clown create the CTI League and the disarm framework uh, that is designed to not only censor mis- and disinformation, it's also designed to go on offense by using sock puppets and and bot networks and specific emotional driven drive to response or inject people into private groups on social media or in just in, in groups in general, create division and, and distraction, breaking them apart as part of the disarm network. Then we see in 2017, the same year, David Brock has a meeting. He's already got Media Matters established way earlier, 2002, 2003. And they put together a plan by putting together an opposition research firm called American Bridge. You had, you had, a, they had Media Matters, of course. Then they kind of basically hijacked and took crew. It would appear to me that crew at one point was actually benevolent. I think what it initially set out to do was actually pretty good. And then Norm Eisen and David Brock and all those guys clowned it and took it over. And then you saw them establish ShareBlue. ShareBlue was supposed to be a social media fundraising type uh, outfit, which eventually became ActBlue. So this is in 2017. And how did that deploy? What did that look like? Well, 
all legacy media. So through these plans, you had people with their talking points that were already pre-vetted by these groups between, you know, Norm Eisen, Michael Cheater, David Brock, and, and then everybody else. And so legacy media was a second arm. So SJ Turp pretty much had social media lockdown. You had the Michael McFalls, Norm Eisen. These guys are color revolutionaries. They know what they're doing. They're directly involved with all these groups, 2017. This is why you saw the same talking points on CNN, MSNBC, all these different legacy outlets. Okay, perfect. So we've got opposition research. We've got lawfare. We've got uh, social media and fundraising. And then we've got, of course, legacy media, uh, you know, mockingbird talking point, misinformation propaganda. So then Norm Eisen comes in and says, well, you know, and Michael McFall being experts in color revolutions impeach, right? Like Dustin, I, I believe, eloquently pointed out the, the 12 parts of the playbook laid out indefinitely. And you can look back and see all 12 parts were completely deployed. We saw fake impeachment hoaxes, the Russia hoaxes. We saw race baiting. We saw races, race riots. Then we move into 2020 and they're gearing up for the election. And in August, they have a meeting. This is with uh, Nils, uh, Nils Gilman out of the Grugan Institute in L.A. and Rosa Brooks. We talked a bit about Rosa Brooks here earlier. Obama acolyte, obviously directly involved with many of these things. And so they had this meeting in August and they created, they wargamed a scenario. Norm Eisen was involved. And they wargamed the election of what it would look like in 2020 and how to, at every single step of the way, leading into and post-election day, what that entire schedule would look like. And they gamed it out. And they figured out all of the all of the the groups. You had the sunrise Zoom call meetings where you had members, current members and, and previous members of the intelligence community working with the horizontal leftist groups on uh, shut down D.C., Antifa, BLM and several other different groups. And they all had these sunrise Zoom calls where they were plotting out the ground game of how they were going to create all of this chaos, how they were going to protest and create and do all these and, and, and run all this chaos. And after the transition project in, in 2020, in August, became the document, The Count. And The Count was the playbook for the ground troops. And I, again, I point to page 35 down there. And when you read page 35, the bottom paragraph, it's the one with the red circle. I see it's getting shared all over social media. That was my finger that drew that circle, by the way. <laughs> um, on, that, on that paragraph, it specifically states that they have to do everything they can to prevent Congress from meeting should Trump win the election or the election challenges and the alternate slate of electors are sent. And so it also also protesting inside the Capitol, pro prohibiting Congress from meeting. Sounds a lot like January 6th, doesn't it? Because when you go through this document, the count after they did their war game, they have all their specific dates, December 8th, uh, you know, uh, well, first the election day, then November 14th, then December 8th, December 14th, January 20th, so on and so forth, January 6th. And they specifically understood how to not only like create these narratives inside legacy media, but maintain the perception that that's not there's no such thing as voting day. It's count the last vote. And so part of that war game was count the last vote. We have to go into the last vote no matter what, no matter what. Every single vote counts and creating this perception. Donald Trump is Hitler. And we have to have a free and fair election. And it was the safest and cleanest and fairest election of all time. Whereas in 2016, the Russians stole it, right? So it was, the, it was a switch. And through that process, they, they had to maintain at least a majority of the public perception that, that the election was above, above board and everything they saw was a cause of Donald Trump. Therefore, they could do extra constitutional and extra lawful actions like extending out the times, 
uh, preventing electors. There's no such thing as a slate of electors. These are insurrectionists, insurrectionists. Then once that was complete and Biden wrote, put his hand on that Bible on, on inauguration day, Norm Eisen goes out and writes a book, basically what it looks like post-Trumpery. And so this was supposed to be the perception game after the 2020 election, after the steal, after the coup, if you want to call it that. And then he was basically bragging. You had Molly Ball write the shadow campaign that fought, or saved the 2020 election. They're all bragging. We pulled it off. We did it. High five, guys, whatever. And then Elon Musk bought Twitter. And now we are seeing this entire thing completely fall apart. In between there, Michael McFall goes to Stanford. He's a fellow at the Hoover Institute at Stanford builds out with under with Rene DeResta reporting to him and Alex Stamos being involved. They, they created the Election Integrity Partnership for the 2020 election. Then they molded it into the Virality Project to count, combat COVID, mis, dis, and malinformation. And now it's all coming apart with the, with, the, with, the, with the purchase of Twitter. We're seeing the Twitter files. We're seeing the CTI League files. We're seeing Missouri v. Biden, Hines v. Stamos, which is Alex Stamos, by the way. Hines v. Stamos court case is still in the Fifth Circuit as well in front of the same judge, Terry Doty, that's in Missouri v. Biden. And they're going after the NGOs in that court case. Now we're seeing the lawsuit from Chris Pavlosky against Nandini Jammy, Nandoodles, who openly bragged being funded by George Soros, by the way. That was her, that was her pitch. Then you have, uh, you have Elon Musk and Tim Pool and many others going after media matters. So that's going to break apart. So this whole thing is coming undone. But that was the steal. That, that was the, the color revolution. That's in a nutshell, in a timeline. That's it. Can I jump in real quick and want to, I want to say one more thing is as more of these uh, things become like start getting exposed, more and more people are going to start jumping ship from the Dems. People are going to start turning like state's evidence and stuff like that. It is going to happen. People will try to save their ass. So um, once, you know, one domino starts to fall, it's going to be a, a cascading event. And so, uh, Dustin, I, I would like to hear your final pitch before we close out the space on the, on the year of the whistleblower for 23 and 24. But I firmly believe this is the year of the whistleblower. And we're already starting to see it. We talked with Kayla, who worked with James O'Keefe at o, uh, O'Keefe Media Group. And they're building out a separate tip line because there is so many whistleblowers coming out. We saw the IBM story. We saw many of these other stories. We see what, what uh, Aaron Stevenson has done with DHS, Tara Rodas at Health and Human Services, Kyle Serafin, Steve Friend, FBI. And so all of these apparatuses are now being built to accept whistleblowers for these people that are going to start jumping ship. And they're already jumping ship, bringing receipts to Matt Taibbi, Matt Schellenberger already. And it's only going to continue on. So it's a great point. Dustin, I think you probably have the best pitch for this. Wow. It, listen, the bus to be a whistleblower uh, is filling up fast and there's limited opportunity. Everybody else is just a criminal. You either get to be a whistleblower and there's only a couple Everybody else who is exposed uh, will come down. And I've made that pitch several times, and every time we've seen it come true, which is once there's one, you start to see the division and people rushing to cover there and save their own asses. And so, yes, I do think this will be the year of the whistleblower. And I think the fact that attention is being brought, and I want to remind people that some of the biggest moments came not from targeting the people at the top, it became, right, you don't dismantle this kind of infrastructure by just cutting the head off the snake preferably, right? Which is, we didn't start with Norm Eisen. We started with the Michael Teeters and the Anna McCandrews and the Aaron Bermans and, right, all of the people underneath who weren't absolutely seeking the spotlight, who weren't household names. 
Uh, and what happens when you start to draw attention to the people underneath is they start to expose the other people around them in, in the hopes that it will prevent them from facing justice for the acts they have created. And that is the game we are about to enter into this year, which is we have piece by piece begun to deconstruct the censorship and lawfare industrial complex that is attacking President Trump, that has gone after his businesses, that have gone after his supporters, that has gone after his family, and has gone after his ability to be even be a candidate in this country. And we've started to deconstruct it, and we started to see, uh, right, that the hardest one is the, the hardest one to peel off is the first whistleblower. After that, it becomes a torrent, and then it becomes uh, the bus, the, the, the spots on the bus are so coveted that you don't even have enough spots on the bus. And sorry, you're just a criminal. And so that my tip for anybody who might be listening, who's on the other side of this, say you work at something like, I don't know, let's just say Democracy Partners or the EIP or the Global Engagement Center or CISA or the National Endowment for Democracy or USAID or any of these other criminal enterprises. Your time is running out. And so start squealing. Right, bring it all forward and fall on. Right, beg for the mercy of the public and the courts and the justice system. Uh, otherwise, it is going to be rough for you, because the people that you attack this way, there is real people. It's not just some game that you played on your computer. The censorship, the debanking, the lawfare—it's bankrupted people. It's caused people to commit suicide. Right, it has been. It has real real pain attached to it. Ask me how I know. And we will have zero empathy or sympathy for the people who did this to us. What you did in order to advance an ideology um, that is antithetical to the Constitution is inexcusable. You are the worst kind of authoritarian tyrants. You are exactly the kind of people that our founding fathers warned us to keep an eye on for. And that doesn't mean that we have to do anything stupid. It just means that we have to continue to present the information and expose exactly what you did. And I'd like, right, the, the, maybe my favorite part of the entire, like what we've witnessed this year is we took, right, all years, like, well, does anything matter? Will it matter that we're exposing this stuff? What's the point? All the black color. But by the end of the year, we saw Andrew Bailey, Missouri v. Biden, the criminal investigations by Ken Paxton and Missouri, the lawsuits by Elon Musk and by Rumble and by True Social and by Tim Pool and by so many others. Those are all built on the information that was brought forward and understood uh, largely by Right in our spaces and by other people who are willing to do the research, tell the truth, and bring the information forward. And so what we're doing here is continuing that, and May 2024 be the year of the whistleblower. Because you, right, you got to use that. I mean, that is the perfect slogan, the year of the whistleblower, because even the Democrats, after hearing that slogan, their direction is going to be to the information, not to the narrative, to the information, and see what the whistleblower said. I'm telling you, that is the slogan. Love it. 
All right, Jack, I'll give you uh, one brief, and then we're going to close this out in the right for the sake of keeping the space short and not intimidating for anybody who may want to listen to it later. Uh, we'll fire up another space here in a little while and where we can free flow about the news of the day and the other stuff. I appreciate everybody listening. I appreciate everybody sharing the information out. Uh, everybody looking for those video clips and articles, everything you can find about Norm Eisen we're looking for because uh, we're not done. We are far from done, but I hope this was illuminating and helping show you guys where to look. Color Revolutions, the playbook on color revolutions written by Norm Eisen. If you start there and you piece that together with what we live through and the attacks against President Trump, the story tells itself. It's pretty incredible. All right, go ahead, Jack. Yeah, I think you pretty much covered what I was going to say. I was just going to add that Elon did say that any organization giving funding to Media Matters, he's going to sue. So let's just try to get the information out there, too. So everything we find on everything, David Brock, Media Matters, like, you know, all the tweets we put out, the one I put out, the one Aaron's put out. We'll try to get those all out there and try to maybe maximize the chances of Elon seeing it. That's, all, I guess, all I can say. Love, love well, it. By the, way, by the way, I just talked to Jen and then Trash, I'll give you the last word. Um, uh we're down. Maybe that the space will do a little bit, Jack. We'll go through your thread and the, the mind map you put together. I think that'd be fun. All right, Trash, I'm going to give you the last word, brother. Yeah, and if there's anybody listening that's like, okay, you guys have a few hundred people in here listening. You guys got, you know, a few thousand followers, that kind of deal. Uh, please understand between us uh, that we have access to the largest platforms in this country that we can get whistleblower information, source information to uh, if you're worried about having us a platform or lack thereof, not to mention, I, I have very good friendships with many people who have already built out platforms to accept whistleblowers. So please understand, uh, it's not just us in this room. I can get it to just about anybody. Oh, 100%. I, I think people realize at this point, like how often do we talk about something and then all of a sudden everybody big is talking about it. And it's, it's incredible because it goes to one of my favorite things. You would be amazed at what you're able to accomplish if you're willing to give somebody else the credit, which is it's not about us getting our bigger platforms, right, or hogging the information or, or somehow being protected. This is about the country, so share it, share it widely, right? Take credit for it. Own it, baby, because if we every step that all of us has taken has led us to this point where I believe we're going to unwrap the entire thing year of the whistleblower baby all right much love to all of you guys we'll see you in a space maybe here in about an hour hour and a half or so and um, we'll go through some other information in a more free will and type way please share this space out when i'm done uh we tried to keep it just jam-packed full of information might do one more one more just because i might want to perfect it down a little bit but for now i'd love you guys to share it out help keep dropping that information on norm eisen the video clips the articles and any other relevant information in the comments. Our team will compile that, and we'll do probably one more like mega space where we dive down and expose the really terrible people normizing. All right, see you guys. All right, see you guys. Thank you.